Good morning, everybody. Um, good to see everybody. Um, we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 9, 10 and 11 we'll cover up today. Um, JD, as you know, is not here. He is in Utah visiting his son, finishing up his house out there. Um, so you guys keep him in prayer as he travels back safe. I think he'll be coming back um, Monday or Tuesday. So it'll be good to have him back, but um, keep him in prayer for safe travel. Um, but for those of you that weren't here last week, um, First King Solomon is in a, a really good place. The children of Israel um, have built the temple. God literally shows up. He sets himself in the temple. He's sitting on the chair. It couldn't be a better picture for the, for the time of Israel. Um, they're really close to God. Solomon, again, is a leader. He's out. He's, picked, I mean, he's just there on his hands and knees praising God. It's a good picture for the whole, um, for the whole Israelites and the whole um, community of um, Israel for the time. They're in a really good place, and for the next three chapters, I know I was blown away with it, that um, Solomon, um, there's a lot of warnings, there's a lot of spiritual application in these three chapters for all of us. I know it, for me, myself, it was convicting and not knowing really the end of the story of Solomon's life. It really takes a turn. Um, there's a lot of warnings in here for us to, turn, uh, for us to learn about, um, a lot of things we can apply in our spiritual life and our walk daily. Um, so... Don't take it personal if things come up. It's just something that is Scripture. It's right here. But absolutely, it is necessary to uh, be aware of God's warnings that He places among not just Solomon's life, but our life. But right now, the picture's good. Um, things are really good with the nation of Israel. Chapter 9 is basically the same. And I'm going to start off um, in chapter 8 of verse 65, kind of pick up the story. For those of you who weren't here last week, and kind of get to, to where we're at. And at the time that Solomon had held a feast and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God, seven days and seven more days, 14 days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and he went to their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the good that the Lord had done for the servant David and for his Israel, his people. So there they go. We got a week of festivities and eating and just enjoying God's presence, what he's done for him. It's a really good picture. So that's where we're at. Chapter 9. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house or the temple of the Lord and the king's house, which is Solomon's house, and all of Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. Now, 20 years previously, God appeared to Solomon and now appears a second time in a dream, just like he did in chapter 3 of 1 Kings. He appears to Solomon in a dream, asking what he wants, what he desires, and Solomon asks for wisdom. Interesting, there's a 20-year gap, and sometimes I think we think um, Solomon and the Israelites and people were hearing from the Lord continuously, previously, all the time they're just hearing from the Lord. It's not really the case here. In the book of Acts, I think there's 16 recorded miracles that happen over a time of roughly 32 years. So about every other year, there's a miracle that happens. Just as Jesus told the Pharisees, I don't want you to be focused on the miracles. They're always seeking a sign. Sometimes I think we want to seek a sign. We want to see a miracle. We want to see things done. God just, he's not really interested in that stuff. He wants us to walk obediently. He wants us to seek him. And, uh, just have faith, just as JC taught Wednesday night for, you, for those of you who are here. Beautiful message on faith. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. God showed up a second time after, that's key right there in verse 1, after Solomon had finished uh, the first thing. God doesn't overload us with things and stuff. He just says, you know, Alex, I want you to do this one thing, and when you get that done, I'll give you step two. Um, 
He just loves obedience. Jesus says in John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will keep my words and my father will love him and he will come unto him and make our home with him. And in Acts 5, 32, we are all witnesses to these things and so also in the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So God loves obedience. He showed up um, after Solomon had finished the second uh, thing that he asked him to do. And there he shows up again. It's a good picture again. Solomon is still in a good place. Um, verse 3, And now the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now if you walk before me as your father David walked, integrity of heart and in uprighteous to do all according to that I have commanded to you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments. I find so much encouragement in this verse for sure. And when David, David, we think about the life of David, with the murder of Uriah and uh, um, affair with Bathsheba, David by my no means was perfect. But he sets the bar for all the kings to be judged, absolutely, because for one thing in the beautiful book of Psalms, Psalm 51, when David is pouring out his heart, Lord, only you and only you have I sinned against. The true thing that separates David from Solomon and for the rest of the kings to be judged is his repentance. Boy, the repentance God was after. That's what he desired. He desired mercy, not sacrifice. David sets the bar high for him. Boy, you just, you'd love David's heart. Um, just to know that he was uh, repented quickly. He didn't sit around and fret about it. He didn't uh, just be remorseful about it. He simply just truly repented and he turned away. A lot of, it was, it's a great picture. Um, it, it was good for Solomon to be reminded of this warning because later on this is going to come into play that Solomon is absolutely going to um, put aside these things that God has placed on his heart, told his father um, David, and absolutely he is aware and God is reminding him and myself when I read this to pay attention to those things of when we sin, when we get caught. Not to just be remorseful, we need to repent and to turn away just as um, his father David did. Verse 5, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. And as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But, here's the warning, here it is. If you or your sons at all turn away from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statues, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples, as it is this house which is exalted. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and will hiss and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And they will answer, Because they forsook their God and who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. So there's the warning for sure. Um, he reminds Solomon, if you're not going to walk after me, there's going to be calamity. There's going to be things that you are not going to enjoy. And absolutely it's going to come to pass. God's word is going to happen. Um, I don't want to get too far ahead because chapter 11, it is a, it's a, comes back to play right here. This is the warning that God has placed upon Solomon. If you don't walk like David, if you don't walk according to what your father did of integrity of heart, Calamity and punishment is coming your way. Walk as David did. Repent. Verse 10. Now it happened at the end of the 20 years, that's where I was referring to, the 20 years, when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, Hiram the king of Tyre, 
that supplied Solomon with cedar and the cypress, the gold, as much as he desired. For those of you who don't know, Hiram is the king. He did a lot of fancy work. He was the carpenter, if you will. For, um, he did a lot of work. A pagan king, for sure. But he did a lot of work for Solomon in the temple. Comes back into play here. Verse 13. So he said, what? Oh, sorry. Yep, sorry. That King Solomon gave Hiram... Verse 11, Hiram the king and Tyre had gold as much as he desired that King Solomon gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Then Hiram, Hiram, this uh, went from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given to him, but they did not please him. So he said, what kind of cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Cable as they are to this day. Then Hiram sent 120 talents of gold this is uh, interesting to me because we go back to verse 11 at the end of it, and it says in the land of Galilee, which is exactly where the place where Jesus taught, walked, and spent a lot of time with people. He blessed that time. He blessed that uh, area of Galilee, and he made it precious, and he made it prosperous, and he made it useful, and it's where Jesus goes. That it looks like a wasteland. It will eventually be turned into a rich land, which just goes to give people Chances. Don't judge a book by its cover. Wherever Jesus goes, if you are a born-again believer and you have that power of the Holy Spirit in you, there's people that God has placed on your heart to go and worship and minister to. Be available for those. Just as this is right here. It's a cable, the land of waste. Think it'd be a good thing. He gives them 20 cities. Not so. But Jesus, when you give him Jesus, when you take Jesus with you, oh man, a lot of good things can happen when you just are led by the Holy Spirit and you give people a chance be led by the Holy Spirit, guys, because God wants to be used this as it talks in Romans chapter 12 about all the spiritual gifts. Each and every one of us have a gift that needs to be used for God's glory for sure. We need to be using them. We need to be aware of it. Verse 15, and this is the reason for the labor force which King Solomon raised for the house of the Lord, his house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Medadio, and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire, and had killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city, and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So the Canaanites, this is exactly, uh, the Israelites were supposed to drive these uh, people out. They're coming later on in verse 21. They were supposed to destroy them utterly. They didn't get the job done. It's a shame, as we know, Egypt represents who? The world. The world was, uh, Pharaoh had to burn up this whole place that the children of Israel were supposed to do. And just it's a good picture of what the world has to do is, is for us as Christians, when the government has to step in to bless those that need help, that all the things that we're supposed to be doing as Christians, that the world sometimes takes the place of as us. Solomon didn't take care of business before as long as the children of Israel. Pharaoh had to take care of it. He burned it up with fire and the Canaanites who dwelt there. Verse 17, when Solomon built Gezer, lower Beth Horon, Balath, Tadmor in the, in the wilderness, in the land of Judah. But all the storage cities that Solomon had, cities for his chariots and cities for his cavalry, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon and all the land in his dominion. All the people who were left in the, were the Amorites, Hittites, Pezzarites, Hivites, and Jebusites, were not of the children of Israel. That is, their descendants who were left in the land after them the children of Israel, here we go, had not been able to destroy completely. So there it is. They were supposed to, they didn't get the job done, 
Later on, uh, we have all these guys that are left. So Solomon forces hard labor. Um, he creates a levy. He raises taxes to build his temple. And now he's putting these guys to uh, forced labor. But not, but not the Jews, not the people of the children of Israel. But to the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced labor because they were men of war, his servants, his officials, and his captains, commanders of the chariots, and his cavalry. Others were chiefs of the official who were Solomon's work, 550 who ruled over the people who did the work. But Pharaoh's daughter came up out of the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Milo. And I think at this time, Solomon should be fully aware that he cannot be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But does that stop him? We will find out. Now, three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar which he had built for the Lord. And he burned incense with them on the altar that was before the Lord. So he finished the temple. And no doubt, these are the uh, big Jewish uh, festivals that they have. Passover in the spring, um, Pentecost in the early summer, and tabernacles uh, in the fall. Three big feasts that Solomon is burning incense for. He's celebrating. A lot of people were there to see what he's doing. That's where he's at. King Solomon, verse 26, also built a fleet of ships. So now he's got his navy on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. Then Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, seamen who, seamen who knew the sea, to work with the servants of Solomon. And they went to Ophir, which is nowadays India, and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. I don't know what gold's going for. I think it's like 2,000, 2000 an ounce, 2,000 a gram. Um, so 420, you guys can do the math, but it's well over a million. I think a million is worth each talent of gold. Millions and millions of dollars are being brought back. Now, David, in First Chronicles, we're going to uh, read in a couple chapters, says, I have taken, in First Chronicles 22, 14, says, I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold. So he, a lot of splendor that Solomon's fleet came back. But nothing like David. David's going to bring back 100,000 talents of gold, roughly. I mean, that's over 500 million bucks of gold that is brought back for the temple of the Lord. And David did so in the battlefield. I find this interesting. Where Solomon sent his fleet and Hiram, he didn't go. There's nothing wrong with what he did. But I find it interesting that David did it in, in the battlefield. It's, it's, it's when we go through battles, hard times, trials, and temptations. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Boy, they were going through the fire Boy, their faith was tested, and boy, they just grew from that. So if you're going through a child or a hard time, you know, you know just know that Christ is going to be with you. Um, there's no other way to go about it. You can do the things that you want to do of yourself, but it's going to fail more than likely. Take Jesus with you. I remember when we were, um, Drake was 18 months. Uh, some of you know my son Drake. He's got glasses. He's four now. And we got told, he kept running into the wall, he kept running into things, and we ended up taking him to the doctor. And come to find out, uh, they told us he had a brain tumor right behind his ear. So, um, yeah, my wife and I were struck to the heart. Didn't know what to do about it. Um, they said you could take an ambulance ride or you can ride out to uh, Omaha by yourself. So my wife and I said, we're just going to drive. And I tell you what, that ride out there was one of the more uplifting times my wife and, ever, and I have ever had. I remember just looking in the rearview mirror, looking back at her, and she was just holding Drake we prayed the whole way out to Omaha. We get out there. Um, he goes through a CAT scan. I couldn't be in the room. Both of us were kind of teary. So I walked out the hallway at Children's Hospital. I'll never forget it. I looked over to the left, and there's 
no um, little girl hooked up to an IV, no hair. And I looked off to the right, and there's another kid that just is going through cancer and some other stuff, and the parents are just broken. And I just remember just falling on my knees, praying to the Lord that God would direct it. Now, would I have been the same? And most of you, spoiler, yeah, Drake is just fine. He just needed glasses. It turned in at the Lord. I thank the Lord for it. Just mastoiditis, some fluid behind the ear. And God changed it right then. And I remember just how being in that fire, being in that trial of being so close to God. And Anna and I, my wife and I, drew so close to the Lord that day. It was just so wonderful. And I'd still, I mean, I'd still be the same, whether the Lord would have took my son or not. It still would have been the same, but regardless, you count your blessings. You just know in the battlefield when times are hard, look up to the Lord, pray, seek Him, because He's going to help you. He never fails, and he, if we're walking with Him, we're reborn, we're led by His Spirit, God's promises and His help, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, are coming, they're coming, and they're going to help us. So take encouragement in that. First, uh, chapter 10, we meet uh, the Queen of Sheba. Now, this lady, she comes from over 1,500 miles, over 1,000 miles for sure. She heard of Solomon's splendor. She heard of uh, the temple itself and all the things that are going on here in Israel. She comes. She, I mean, she came from a long ways, a 45-day trip, just to see what Solomon and what was going on here. Chapter 10, now when the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue. She's got a lot of people with her, with camels that bore spices, very much gold, precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke to him all about what was in her heart. She's communing with Solomon. She's asking questions, all of her desires. So Solomon answered all of her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he not, could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he'd built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service and waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers, and his entryway by which they were went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Boy, she was breathless. She was taken away by all the splendor and all the majesty of Solomon's temple. And the Lord, back in chapter eight, uh, just chapter 8, Solomon, he prays for uh, foreigners. Um, he made this dedication to the temple, as we know, and then he prayed for foreigners. Now, the temple... And it's God rejoined people throughout the world in 1 Kings chapter 8. That's his uh, prayer. Uh, Solomon evidently passed the queen's test because she praised the Lord for making Solomon's king and for the Israelite vows that reflected God's character. Um, no one knows that the queen of Sheba remained a worshiper of, God, uh, of Israel's God, but Jesus mentioned her in, in Luke along the way in the city of Nineveh as examples of the Gentiles in the Old Testament. The queen of Sheba's desire to seek the truth about the Lord made the Pharisees that Jesus talked about obvious to everyone. It shows how our own spiritual wanderings should drive us to actually seek the answers from God. Verse 6, Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I had heard in my own land by her words and mere wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw it with my own eyes. Indeed, I did not know the half of it. Boy, guys, just wait till we get to heaven. We're not going to know the half of it. Solomon's kingdom, it was powerful and mighty. When we get to heaven, I don't think we can comprehend how great it's going to be. Solomon's kingdom, nothing like it in the world at the time. Our kingdom that we get to go to, if you are a follower of Christ, oh, we can't wait to go to heaven. My daughter, Ava Jane, she's seven. She asked me this week, she just told me studying, Daddy, what's heaven going to be like? And You know, you just can't answer some of those questions. I wanted to tell her, sweetheart, the kingdom of heaven is like you. You're supposed to tell me. 
She had the spirit, and I just I took the time to, to minister to her and tell her, you know, I, we don't know. We don't know for sure we're going to get a new heaven, a new body. It's going to be no more pain, no more suffering. What's 1 Corinthians second, uh, chapter 2, verse 9 says, Eyes have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for you and I, for the ones who love him. Oh, it's going to be a great, great, great day, guys, and it's coming soon. First, back to verse 7. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. First, the skeptic. Now she's the believer. That's what I think. She came from far away. She wanted to know. Solomon laid it on her. God answered her questions through Solomon. Skeptic to believer. That's where she's at. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices the queen of Sheba had given to Solomon. Also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almagwood and precious stones from Ophir, the king made steps of the Almagwood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. Also harps and stringed instruments for singers. There never again had, too, has uh, been this day. True splendor and beauty of Solomon's temple for sure. Going to get it, all these things. It's a three and a half year journey from India to come back, coming through the Red Sea. It's a long trip. Nevertheless, uh, this powerful and mighty temple, she was amazed at it, and she gave him a little extra stuff for it. And there's never again been anything like it ever. Verse 14, the weight and the gold that came of Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. It's interesting. I just caught that right now. 666. Might be another warning to Solomon. I don't know, but there it is, 666. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, and from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country. And here's what he did with that. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went to each shield. And he also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Their meanest of gold went into each shield. The king put them into the house of the forests of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps. The top of the throne was round in the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrest. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the step. Nothing like it had been made for any other kingdom. Solomon's kingdom was meant to intimidate. Jesus' kingdom in Hebrews, it talks about, come to the, uh, his throne of grace. Come boldly to that throne of grace. It's an invitation to us to just come boldly to Jesus' grace and his throne. Chapter, verse 21, all King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. All the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Uh, not one was silver. For this accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. So silver goes for quite a bit too. It's pocket change too. It's worth nothing. And this house in Lebanon, um, some people think that this is just kind of his bachelor's house out in the woods kind of thing. We don't really know. But nevertheless, it's getting built. It's separate from the temple and Solomon's house. And that's where he's at. First. 22, for the king had merchant ships, at, merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram once every three years. There it goes. The, mer the, uh, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, 
ivory, apes, and monkeys. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings on the earth in riches and in wisdom. Now notice the change here. Um, Solomon first started off with wisdom. That's what he asked for. Now riches have become first. Wisdom is second. Um, this is the beginning of the turn of Solomon's heart. Right here, he's uh, had a lot of good things happen to him. He's been blessed by the Lord. Um, but Psalm 62 says this, If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Solomon has definitely placed his heart on him. Um, he's seeking all the splendors and all the things that he can possibly get his hands on. And wisdom has become second. Solomon's heart, it's a tragic story, it is for sure. Here's where he starts to change. Verse 24, Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon and to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules at a set rate year by year. And Solomon gathered chariots, horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots, 12 thousand horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities with the king of Jerusalem. Now, these chariots, we don't think much of them. These were a powerful, sophisticated force that they needed to have back then. Top of the line, kind of a, an army tactic that he had. Look how many he had. Over a thousand chariots. I mean, it just speaks of the, of the splendor of his majesty and his kingdom. And Solomon, 27, and the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. There it is. So stones were like silver. There weren't much value to him. And he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowland. Also Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Kiva. The king's merchants brought them into Kiva and the current price. Now a chariot was imported from Egypt, a cost of 600 shekels of silver, and a horse 150. And thus their agents, they exported them to all the kings and the Hittites in the land of Syria. Now Deuteronomy uh, chapter 17, verse 6 through 17 it's another warning for Solomon. He's clearly, he knows about the law. He knows about all the things. He kind of puts himself above the law at this point. This, uh, this is a good reference to it. Deuteronomy 17, 16 says this, But if he shall, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to himself, uh, Egypt to apply horses for the Lord said to you, you shall not uh, go that way, neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor gold, now he should, now should be greatly multiplied silver and gold for himself. He's doing all these things. He's been reminded by the Lord in chapter 17 of Deuteronomy. He's making riches. He's making wives, and we're going to learn in chapter 11. Um, God wanted to be his defense and his arsenal. Um, I wanted to be his wealth, God was saying. And this is the third thing God warned about was his wives, which is all about chapter um, 11 and the promise of calamity that God would happen. Um, if, if Solomon would not walk in the ways of his father David, the calamity and judgment is about to come. And here it is, chapter 11. It's a sad story. Um, I would encourage all of us, if God's put something on your heart from this, there's a lot to learn, a lot of spiritual application through this chapter. And just see what the Lord puts on your heart. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. So there it is. He became a wife. She became a wife. Woman of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and the Hittites, from the nations of which whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these things in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wife and his wives turned away his heart. 
cannot be unequally yoked. Well, I think sometimes, I know I did before I got saved. You want to bring people to church. You want to bring your, your dating partner to church. You think you can get them saved. You think you can lead them to the Lord. It's, it's too dangerous. It's just too dangerous. For you guys that are single out there, maybe you're in the dating field, God has one person and one person in mind for you, and only that. It's just too dangerous. They need to have a personal relationship, first and foremost, with Jesus Christ. You really should have no business with them. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 15 says this, Do not be equally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or with fellowship has with light with darkness, or Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? The world tells us there's a lot of fish out there. Date as many people as you can. I know I got told that growing up. You leave a lot of baggage. J.D. told us a while back. You give a little piece away. You give a little bit away. You give more away. God's not in it. God has one person, one person for you only. And I'm not condemning anybody because things happen. Divorce happens, as J.D. was teaching on too. Um, you need to honor your vows now. And honor the promises that you've made before your wife or your husband now. God is going to be involved in it, but first and foremost, if you're dating out there, they need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's just too dangerous, guys. Don't spend any time with them because we think we can do things for them. We think we can lead them to the Lord. Not the case always. Just like Solomon and his wives probably thought they were going to be okay. He was going to be okay. I was going to be fine when I get there. He has over a thousand people that he was with. Later on, Solomon talks about this in Ecclesiastes, the book of vanity. He speaks about how empty he was after all these things that had happened to him. Got to that thousandth woman, and boy, he felt more empty than he'd ever felt in his life. The thousand people he had been with, just kind of a disturbing thought for sure. But Solomon, he kind of put himself above this, and it's a great reminder. This one struck me for sure. To teach my kids and to teach those around me how important it is not to have multiple partners, not to have things like that. Now, it's never too late to repent, just as David, we've been learning here. Repent to that, turn away. Just spend time with one person, one person only. God's got one in mind and one in mind only. Verse 4, Now it was so when Solomon was old that it was that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as it was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow after the Lord, as his father David did. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemish, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is in the east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all the foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, here's the warning that's coming into play. Because you have done this, you have not kept my covenant and my statues, which I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I would not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear, it away, tear away the whole kingdom. I will give you one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. In chapter 16 of Luke, I think some of us know about it, but Abraham's bosom. You see the Lazarus and the rich man far off. Lazarus is in paradise. 
rich man is in purgatory. He's in a waiting place. He's in punishment. And he asked Abraham, let me get a cool drip of water so I can cool my tongue. It is so hot here. Let me go tell my brothers that there is a place like this that's waiting for me. And if David, as God is saying here, is obviously in paradise with the Lord, if he could be screaming out, if I'm saying, and we have no scripture that they could see what was going on, if David could be right there screaming at his son Solomon, boy, you know he would be, turn away, repent, walk away from your old life, Solomon, repent of your sins, go back to what God has called you to, he's in a bad place right now. Verse 14, now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hey, Dad, the Edomite, Edomite. This is one of the uh, treaties that Solomon made with. He had a wife from Edomite. Now it's coming back into play. The Lord says, uh-uh, that's not how it goes. I'm going to raise up an adversary. He's raised up an enemy from the woman that he was falling in love with. He was a descendant of the king of Edom. For it happened when David was in Edom, and, the, and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom, because for six months Joab remained there with all Israel, until he had cut down every male in Edom. That Hadad fled to go to Egypt, he and certain Edomites of, the fa- of his father's servants with him. Hadad was still a little child. Then they arose from Midian and came to Paran, and they took men with him from Paran and came to Egypt. To Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, supported food for him, and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him as wife to the sister of his own wife, that is, the sister and the queen of Tapenes. Then the sister of Tapenes bore him Jinubath, his son, who Tapenes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Jinubath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of, of Pharaoh. Solomon's treaty, as I said, with, with the Edomite is backfired on him, that God warned him. So then, when Hadad... Heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers, that Joab, the commander of his army, was dead. Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart, that I may go to my country. Then Pharaoh said to him, but why have you lacked with me, that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? So he answered, nothing, but let me go anyway. Why, we say, because God had put it on his heart. He'd already told him. He doesn't know this, but he's raised, been raised up by God to be a, a, an enemy to Solomon. And God raised up another adversary against him. So we're going to find three Satans in here in just a second. So here's the second one. Reason, the son of Eladad, who had fled from his Lord, had had a Dezer, king of Zobad, and he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders when David killed those of Zobah, and they went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused and that and, it, and he abhorred or hated Israel and reigned over Syria. Now, verse 26 right here, this is going to talk about Jeroboam. Jeroboam, the other two were outside. They were Gentiles. They weren't from the nation of Israel. This one, Jeroboam, comes from within. He is an Israelite, and he's been raised up as an enemy. It's a special enemy, a special Satan, if you will. Been raised up against Solomon. He's got three guys coming at him at once. God still is not pleased. It takes three times for Dave, for Solomon to really figure it out that God is not with him. We'll finish up here. Verse 26, Then Solomon served Jer- Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from uh, Zerida, whose mother's name was Zariah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. And this was what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built 
to Milo and repaired the damages to the city of his father David. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force in the house of Joseph. Solomon promoted him. He's uh, really high up. He's an outgoing kind of guy. And again, uh, him and his mother turned his back on Solomon. This is a sad picture for him. Verse 29, now it happened at the time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Isaiah, the Shilonite, met him on the way and he clothed himself with a new garment and the two were alone in the field. Then Isaiah took hold of the new garment and was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. So there he gets a new coat. Prophet of the Lord meets him on the road, just them two, and this guy rips up his coat into 12 pieces. We'll learn about that in chapter 12 next week more about the 12 tribes that get separated out. But here's where it starts. This is where it, uh, it all starts from. Uh, verse 31, And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of your hand of Solomon and will give you ten tribes. But he shall not have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me and worshipped Asterisk, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemish, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes, and to keep my statues and my judgment as his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, because I have made him a ruler all the days of his life, and for the sake of my servant David, who I chose, because he kept my commandments in my statues. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you ten tribes, and to this his son I will give you one tribe. My servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. He can't, he can't say it enough how much he was pleased with David's life. And we look at that in murder and adultery. God found him just as perfect and clean as he'd never sinned before. Repent, just as what David did. Solomon has not been able to pick it up yet. He still has not repented as his father David did. Nevertheless, God is still going to keep his promises, his covenants through David. Just one tribe. He's going to give 10 to uh, this other guy. Verse 38, Then it shall be, if you heed that all I command to you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, and I will be with you and build for you an enduring house that I built for David and will give Israel to you. I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishkak, the king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. No doubt it's tragic. I mean, it's a terrible way to end Solomon's life. I, I was blown away when I read this because I don't remember it going down like this. I don't remember it happening like this. Yeah, Toby, we'll go ahead and get ready for communion. I'm going to finish up the rest while they're getting ready. But here it is. Solomon dies a tragic death. Verse 21. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, all that he did and his wisdom, they are not written in the books of Solomon. In the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all of Israel's 40 years, and Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Now, Rehoboam, as we're going to learn next week in chapter 12, is the only son that uh, is mentioned of all the people, all the boys that probably were born to Solomon. He's the only one that's mentioned. That's where he closed today. We're going to take communion. It's a perfect place. Thank you, Rob. Perfect place to take communion. Um, 
For those of you that are visiting or don't know, um, everybody is willing to partake. You don't have any memberships. You don't have to take classes to it. Um, the Bible does speak of it taking of it in an unworthy manner. First and foremost, guys, it's an invitation for sure. If you don't know Lord and Jesus, Lord uh, Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Today is the day for salvation for you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He desires you. He, he made you for a reason. He created you for a reason. I don't know everybody here, but it's an invitation that the Lord wants you to know if you are not loved by Jesus himself, he wants you to make that choice today for salvation. And what a remembrance it is of what he did for us on the cross. For those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, maybe you're just new in the faith, but you've been saved, you've been converted, you've been born again, you understand what this body and the bread means. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me and what I did for you on the cross. It's a personal choice, guys. It is absolutely so important that we remember there's nothing superficial about it. It's just a good remembrance to get our hearts right to what's been paid for us, what's been given to us, life. Nothing is guaranteed, guys. We hear, we turn on the news and there's so many things that are happening around the world. People dying, suicide rates going crazy high. The Lord wants to use each and every one of us. Every one of us has a purpose in life. We have a, like Romans chapter 12 talks about, we have a spirit of gift and talents that God has given us we're supposed to be using Go and be a light to the world. Be a joy to the world. Be reminded of what God, through His Son Jesus, has done for us. Well, they're finishing up um, kind of a little tradition that Calvary does. After we eat and drink, I'll pray. And then we'll crack the cups as we are broken vessels. It's a symbolic thing of being broken for the Lord broken vessels that he wants to be using us for. So we'll do that after I pray, and then we will depart. All right, gang, as we learn, just I encourage you to repent. God has put it on something with your heart to just lay it at his feet. Time is coming quickly. Jesus is coming back any day. We don't know when we know, but he's coming. Repent of your sins and just turn to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for what you did for on the cross. We thank you so much for your word and how powerful it is. Lord, what we learned today, I pray that we will be able to apply it to our own lives, with our own walk with Jesus. Lord, we just thank you so much um, for, our own, for our pastor, J.D., and his family. Lord, we don't want to take anything away from Jesus, but Lord, we just thank you for his service and his love for the church. Father, we just thank you so much for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the penalty that was paid for us to go, and we just go in the joy of the Lord. So, Father, we thank you so much. We pray for safe travel. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Have a good week, everybody.